take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, our, our text this morning is verses 20 to 36. As we have made it to the beginning of Holy Week in John's Gospel, you might remember the right at the end of last week's passage uh, was the scene of the triumphal entry. And Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday um, and declared to be king by the crowd, uh, this same crowd who will later crucify him. Um, but because of some Gentiles who have come asking to see Jesus, Jesus is going to tell us that, that his hour is here. Uh, the time is now in which the kingdom of God is going to be brought to bear. Um, but this is a message not just for his own day, it's also a message for our day that, that, that the hour's here, that, that the procrastination, the, the temptation to put off dealing with what the Holy Spirit is telling us through Holy Scripture, that must come to an end. Now's the time, the time of, of salvation, the time in which God is drawing near. But in order to hear what God has for us and, and perhaps respond as the Holy Spirit desires, we need the Holy Spirit's help. So let's ask him for it. Would you pray with me, please? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do come as God's people this morning, desiring to hear the word of the Lord. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come, that you would use uh, Holy Scripture, the, the infallible and errant word of God, to be the living word of God for us, so that through the preaching of God's word, we would truly hear the word of the Lord. Lord, grant us this grace, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am... There will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come into this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? 
So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to let you into a little inside baseball on how I go about sermon preparation. Usually, uh, I begin preparing for next Sunday, uh, the Sunday after I finish preaching. So this afternoon, at some point, I'll read next week's text uh, and begin rolling it over in my head. Usually, by Monday or, or Tuesday at the latest, I not only know where I think the sermon needs to go, but I have an outline, and it always helps if connected together with all of that, I have an introduction. Uh, but sometimes on Wednesday, when I actually write Sunday morning's sermon, I, I don't have an introduction. Uh, and so I, I dive into the body of the sermon with the outline, the direction that I think uh, the text is telling us, and I, and I write the sermon, and I kind of put off trying to figure out the introduction, trusting that eventually uh, it might come to me. It, it, it's a kind of procrastination, uh, and yet it's, it really is always there. There are a few occasions a few occasions in which an introduction doesn't come, but it really doesn't matter uh, because 11 o'clock Sunday morning, uh, whether I'm ready or not, the hour is here and we have to go ahead and speak. It's part of the reason why teaching seminarians for 14, 15 years now, uh, I don't uh, allow them to turn in their papers late. And when I do the syllabus talk and I explain why that's the case, I always say to them, 11 o'clock Sunday morning comes, whether you're ready or not, when those, that bell strikes, the hour's here, and you can't put it off any longer. Of course, we, we do that in our lives too, don't we? Put off all sorts of things that are demanding our attention, and there comes a point when we, we can't put them off any longer whether it's the, the pain in the, our side, and we've had this weird pain for days and weeks and months even, and, and we think, oh, I'll get that checked out. Oh, I'll get that checked out. But then suddenly the pain becomes too much. The hour is here, and we have to deal with that. Or, or that strange noise in your transmission, in your car, in your truck, and you think, Oh, let me wait and see if that noise goes away. Ah, I know I need to check that out, but uh, maybe. It, but then, clank, 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 it doesn't work anymore, and the hour's here, and you can't put it off any longer. That happens to us all the time, doesn't it? It even happens spiritually. We hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, it's been a long time since you picked up your Bible and read your Bible and prayed. It's been a long time since you've You've worshipped with God's people. It's been a long time since you've dealt with this particular sin or this particular pattern or, or you're heading in a wrong direction. Shouldn't you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? And we, we put it off and we put it off. But then there comes a point in time when we can't put it off any longer. And the hour is here and we have to deal with it. You see, that's true for us in our daily lives, whether in the things that come up in our daily lives or in our spiritual life. When we put things off and we tend to procrastinate, 
But then we come to an hour of decision. The hour's here. What are we going to do? That's true as well here in this passage. I haven't really made a big deal about it, but throughout John's gospel, that, that, that language of the hour has been mentioned several times. In John chapter 2, uh, at the, the scene at the, the wedding feast at Canaan, after the, the wedding party runs out of wine, you might remember that Mary, Jesus' mother, comes to him and says they've run out of wine. And Jesus says to her, what, woman? What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. A little bit later in John's gospel, John chapter 7, during the festival of booze, um, Jesus has been confronting the Jewish leadership, and, and they're extremely angry with him. But John tells us, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. The same thing's mentioned in the next chapter, in John chapter 8. John writes, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. When we come here to John chapter 12, as we've already heard, Jesus himself is saying, the hour's here. The hour's come. Did you see it? It's, It's verse 23. Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour's come. But what Jesus says here is hard to reconcile with what's going to come after. You see that that title, the Son of Man, it actually shows up in in Daniel chapter 7. If you were to take the time this afternoon to read Daniel 7, you'll see that it starts with a vision that Daniel has of of four beasts that come out of the sea representing four successive empires. But then the Ancient of Days comes and he places his throne upon the earth and he opens the books. And one like a son of man, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, one like a son of man comes and he receives authority from the Ancient of Days to rule over the nations and so glean glory for himself. And so that title, the son of man, connected together with glory suggests something like what's described there in Daniel 7, that Jesus is going to receive authority over the nations. That's what's so striking about what Jesus is going to say next. Because for Jesus, the hour that's come, the hour for his glory, is going to come in a completely different way than we might expect. You see, Jesus' hour of glory is actually the hour of his own dying. It's the hour of death. Did you see that? Look again at verse 23 and see what Jesus says next. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So there's a connection here, isn't there, between the Son of Man being glorified and this this somewhat enigmatic statement concerning a grain of wheat that goes into the ground and dies, and, but in dying bearing much fruits. And of course, there is a connection, namely that the way that Jesus, the Son of Man, will display his glory is through dying. The hour of Jesus' death is now here. 
Of course, as I mentioned last week, John's gospel has been giving us hints all along the way that this was in fact Jesus's mission, that Jesus's cross had to come before his crown, that Jesus's death would in fact lead to his glory. And his, his glory would not only be seen in his actual gory death on the cross, but in the fact that his death would bear much fruit. Bear much fruit. What's that language about? Well, we've actually seen that language of fruitfulness already in John's gospel. Back in John chapter 4, where Jesus, remember, had been talking to the Samaritan woman by the well. She goes into this, her village, Sychar, and she tells them concerning this Jesus who's the Messiah and the whole village is coming out to meet Jesus. And as they are, Jesus says this, it's John chapter four, verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Fruit for eternal life. That's what Jesus is talking about here. In the very same way, Jesus' death will bear much fruit for eternal life. Because, of course, he doesn't die for his own sins. Rather, he dies for the sins of his people. And his people aren't simply Jews, are they? No, it's, it's Jew and Gentile together. They, they make up his people In fact, Jesus' statement concerning the hour having come, it's all triggered by these God-fearing Gentiles who show up. And they show up to Philip, and they say, Sir, we would see Jesus. And because both Gentile and Jew are coming to Jesus to to ask concerning him, to, to know of eternal life, Jesus says, the hour is here. The hour has come. The hour of my own dying, the hour, the hour of my own gathering my people together for eternal life, which means what? It means that whoever you are, Jew or Gentile, white or black or brown, rich or poor, male or female, doesn't matter who you are. Jesus died for sinners like you and me. He, he, his death is for us, for you. This glorious exchange effected on the cross where your sin is is taken by Jesus. Your wrath, your curse, as we affirmed in the statement of faith this morning. Jesus' forgiveness, his righteousness given to you so that all that's yours becomes his, your sin. And all that is his becomes yours, his rightness, his righteousness. This glorious exchange effected at the cross isn't just for one group of people. It's for all kinds of people. It's for you. That's what Jesus' death is about. And yet, Jesus' death, which brings about the fruit of eternal life, it not only speaks to his own dying, rather the hour of death also is ours. Because, of course, Jesus' death sets the pattern for discipleship. It, It sets the pattern for falling after Jesus. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer observed this in his famous work that we know as the cost of discipleship. Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man, 
which is the result of his encounter with Christ. Bonhoeffer writes, as we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We, we give our lives over to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. It may be a death like that of his first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ. The death of the old man at his call. Did you hear it? When, when, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. And that's not some point later in the Christian life. No, it's at the beginning. At the very beginning, the hour of death is not just Jesus' death on the cross, but it's also your own. That's not just Bonhoeffer saying it. It's, it's what Jesus says here. Look again at your Bibles. Verse 24, Jesus had said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Then verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Friends, listen. When we follow Jesus, we don't simply add him on to our otherwise happy, successful lives. When we follow Jesus, we, we don't simply give him an hour every few weeks or so when it's, when it's convenient and when it doesn't conflict with anything else. No, when we follow Jesus, we follow him to where he is. And where is he going here? He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. Which means that we too are following him. And our lives here are a kind of dying, a kind of letting go in order to gain Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a picture of it in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, the, the Apostle Paul there lists all of the advantages, all of the proofs of his happy, blessed life that he led, um, at least as the world viewed him. He talks about his racial advantages as a, as a Jew of Jews and a Benjamin, uh, Benjamite of Benjamites, um, but also his religious advantages, um, observant of the law, a Pharisee of Pharisees. If anyone was on the right path, who, who's, who was in the way of blessing to, to the happy Jewish life, it, it was Paul. And yet, what does he say? Philippians 3, 7, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Did you hear what Paul said? 
I count as loss. I count everything as loss. I suffer the loss of all things. What is he saying? He's saying that at the very beginning of our Christian lives and in, in the daily embrace and following after of Jesus, what, what the way of the Christian life is, is Jesus taking our hands off of our lives. These good gifts that God gives us that we cling so tightly to, whether it's our work or our jobs or our, our sense of purpose or whether it's our families or whatever it may be, the, these things that we hold so tightly and he opens our hands so unwillingly so that we might lose that which we cannot keep in order to gain what we will never lose, namely Jesus. We come to our own dying here, this hour of death. But here's the thing. When you and I come to this this hour of death, what we discover is it's worth it. There's nothing to be compared to Jesus. Jesus is worth it. We discovered, too, that the hour of death is actually the hour of defeat. But it's not defeat as we might expect it. We see our own deaths, our own dying, our own letting go of our lives as somehow a defeat for us. But what Jesus is telling us here is that the hour of death is actually the hour of defeat for our enemy. Did you see it? Look at verse 31. After this voice from heaven uh, that says that God is going to glorify Jesus. Jesus says, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. In other words, this hour of Jesus' death is actually the hour of defeat for the enemy who rules over this world system. He'll be cast out. Of course, this has already been happening in Jesus' ministry. Elsewhere in the gospel accounts, in in Luke's gospel, you have this scene in which the disciples have gone out to preach and teach, but also to heal and to drive out demons. And they come back in Luke chapter 10, and they are so excited about what's happened. And as Jesus greets them, he says this, Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The enemy's grip on this world system, on the unseen heavenly places, on the the air, as Paul calls it. It was loosening because of the the advance of Jesus' ministry through his disciples. But the hour of his defeat was coming to a climax just a few short days later there in Jerusalem. It would be through the blood of the Lamb, through the cross of Jesus Christ at the great dragon. The devil would be thrown down from heaven. But of course, that means that that the means of of the enemy's defeat, it's a kind of enigma. It's a kind of mystery. Because the enemy will be cast down as Jesus is lifted up. Do you notice that? Look at verse 32. Back at verse 31. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I... When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You see, the enemy, that great dragon, the devil himself, will be absolutely defeated through Jesus' apparent defeat. He will strike Jesus' heel, but in doing so, Jesus will crush his head. But this is an enigma to us. 
It's an enigma to us that it's actually through Jesus' dying that the enemy defeat, the enemy's defeat will happen. I mean, we have all sorts of voices today who counsel us that, that victory uh, in our culture, in our nation, is through power, and through violence, and through war. But it's all wrong. The Bible makes clear over and over again that the way to Christ's victory is through Christ's cross. And the way to the devil's defeat is through Christ's own dying. And if that's true of the master, isn't it true of his followers? Friends, the way that all people are drawn to Jesus is through the message and modeling of Jesus' self-giving, dying love. It's through the message of the cross. That's our only hope. Our only hope for our hour, for our day, is that, is that the Christ would be lifted up, that, that the cross would be lifted high. You see, the hour of Jesus' death is in fact the hour of the enemy's defeat. But this hour also, my friends, it really is the hour of decision. It's the hour of decision for you and me. How are we going to respond to Jesus? That's, that's what Jesus says. The crowd asks him, who is the Son of Man? He's been telling them for 12 chapters. And so instead of responding to that, Jesus says in verse 35, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. You see, Jesus sets out here a clear contrast between darkness and light and the decision that's presently before us. If we cling to this world, if we cling to life as we know it, if we cling to our desires for, for what this life can give us, then Jesus says we're, we're walking in the darkness. It's overtaken us, even if we don't realize it. Uh, we think we know where we're going, but we're actually bumbling and stumbling through this world, blinded by the enemy, the, the God of this age, and who's leading us to destruction. But Jesus says there's another way, and that's the way of the light. And, and the light of this world is not some kind of general goodness in all things, or it's not some kind of faith in humankind. No, the light of the world is Jesus. That's what we sang this morning. But Jesus himself told us that in, in John chapter 8. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friend, you may be here this morning and you have been, you have been putting off the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart for weeks and months and years. And the Holy Spirit has been shouting at you in your sin, in your waywardness, or just in your simple kind of uh, attachment to the things of this world and what this world can offer you. But the Holy Spirit's been shouting at you. Why are you doing that? Don't do that. Come back to me. Take up the Bible. Take up and read. Spend time with me in prayer. Come be part of God's people. Come and worship You've been ignoring it. You've been procrastinating. You've been putting it off. But friends, you can't put it off forever. The hour is here. The hour has come. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You have a, a decision before you. 
Are you going to heed the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you through Holy Scripture? Or will you come continue to stumble along in the darkness? The hour's here. What will you do? Would you pray with me, please? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing us to this hour, this moment pregnant with possibility, pregnant with the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, we pray that for those who have been wandering around in the darkness, thinking they know where they're going, clinging to their lives and loving them so much, that they're going to, in the end, lose them. Lord, please rescue. Please save. Do whatever is necessary. Do whatever it takes to make this hour one that bears fruit for eternal life. So that in the end, we might bring all glory and honor to you, King Jesus. Because, of course, it all belongs to you. Yours is the rule. Yours is the reign. Yours uh, to you belongs our lives, both here and hereafter. And so, Lord, please do your work, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your worship booklets.